Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. And welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you. So glad that you're tuning into another podcast. You know, our last podcast, we talked about the temptations of Jesus. And that was pretty insightful when you see how Jesus himself in human flesh fought against Satan himself. Now, Satan, remember, he brought everything that he had to try to bring down the Son of God, and he failed. And one of the biggest lessons, one of the biggest takeaways when you are looking at the wilderness temptations of Jesus is that he knew the scriptures. That is so key and so important with us as Christians. So hopefully yeah, you heard that podcast. If you didn't, you can always go to standstrongministries.org. You can go search Stand Strong in the Word podcast on uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud. But it's out there, and as always, we do provide you notes to each podcast. So it's a great way to study the scriptures on your own, uh, on your own, or even in a small group. So please take advantage of that. Well, now as we uh, continue the chronological reading of the gospel accounts, we are in John chapter one. It's a pretty hefty passage uh, on this podcast today. We're going to be going through John chapter one, nineteen through fifty-one. And I've titled this one called Behold the Lamb of God. Now, this marks the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Okay, so at this stage, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan, as we mentioned earlier. And on both accounts, from the baptism of Jesus, when the skies opened up and the Holy Spirit descended and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then also the three attacks that Satan had against Jesus that are recorded. Doesn't mean that those were the only three occurrences. There could have been more. And again, and we talked about that in the podcast. But here you see um, in the wilderness temptation that this was definitely uh, an encounter that Jesus once again proved that he is the Son of God. So now we take a look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And it says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the, in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, and he said, So, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, and whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, so there is a lot packed in this passage in John chapter 1. So I just read verses 19 through 51. So if you have a Bible or you're listening to this in your car, make sure that you spend some more time reading through this. I can only give you some highlights with the time frame that we have. But let me just start with this question that comes right off the page here in John chapter 1. Notice the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem come to John the Baptist and they ask him, who are you? Now, let's put some context here. Remember, John the Baptist was like a rebel. He was very unorthodox in what he did. And these priests and Levites, remember, they were overseers of the temple. If you go back to Numbers chapter 18, verses 1 through 7, you will see kind of this authority that they have taken upon themselves. In other passages of Scripture, for example, John 5, 16, it says, 
And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. Remember, they're like the religious police. In John eleven fifty seven, it says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he, they should uh, let them know so that they might arrest him. So again, John the Baptist is doing things that they don't approve of. And so they come to him basically saying, you better tell us who you are. So in verse 21, they said, are you Elijah? This question was, was asked because of the anticipatory prophecy of Elijah, according to Malachi 4, 5. We've talked about this in previous podcasts when we looked at the life of John the Baptist because he came in the spirit of Elijah, though he was not literally Elijah. Elijah. But in Malachi 4, 5, remember, it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So in essence, if they're saying that you're Elijah, then they're anticipating the kingdom to come. Uh, the, the disciples, remember, later on in Jesus's ministry in Matthew 17, would ask Jesus if he, in fact, was Elijah. So here this question is being asked. And of course, we know that John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, then in, in the same verse, in verse 21 of John 1, they asked if he was the prophet. Now, what do, what do they mean by that? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, it reads, quote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, at least I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in their mouth, in his mouth, excuse me, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. All right. So when the Jewish leaders, when the Levites were asking John the Baptist, if, okay, if you're not Elijah, then are you this prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18? The Jews were referring this to not be the Messiah, but rather to be one who would pave the way for the Messiah. So yes, in context, because notice in verse 23 of chapter one, John's response was, I am the voice. He's going back to Isaiah's prophecy of him in Isaiah 43. So yes, I am paving the way. However, the one that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 18 is about the Messiah the capital P prophet, not me. So one of the things that they challenged him in verse 25 was then, okay, they asked the question who you are. Now they're saying, but why do you baptize this way? In essence, this is what the Jews were saying to John the Baptist. Jews um, would baptize Gentiles if they wanted to convert to Judaism, but that was a right or the authority was given to the Jewish leaders. John the Baptist was not considered to be a rabbi. He was not approved by the Sanhedrin, and yet he was out there baptizing. Now, he was also baptizing in the Jordan, which in and of itself was something that was detestable to the Jews because they would cleanse themselves within the city and at the temple. So as though the religious leaders are coming to John the Baptist as though they were saying, look, we didn't give you this authority. You're, you're doing a practice, basically. You're executing a form of the law in a way that you think is right. And they're outraged by this because they're saying, you, are you, what, what credentials do you have? What authorization do you have? And you're baptizing these people as though you're saying what we're doing is wrong. So John, when he, his response back to them was saying, hey, look, I'm doing this because I'm preparing 
my people, God's people for the coming Messiah. So I am paving the way. This is something the religious leaders should have been aware of way back in the birth of Jesus. Only John the Baptist was preparing the way. Remember, Jesus was already on scene. He had already baptized Jesus and Jesus had gone into the wilderness. The the Bible says, remember, the spirit led him out there to be tested. And so he says, I'm not Elijah. I'm not this prophet. I'm, I'm a voice preparing the way that was prophetic from Isaiah 40 verse 3. So you may think that because I'm not Elijah or I'm not this prophet that I'm a nobody, but you can't neglect Isaiah, a prophet that, of course, they certainly, the religious leaders, validated uh, from the scriptures. And he says, I'm fulfilling what he has set forth hundreds of years prior as though that wasn't enough. So here's what's cool. Once again, about John the Baptist. And we talked about this in previous podcasts about his humility. I love this. And we use this quote a lot in the in church circles. I just, I just pray to God that we practice it more than we just quote it. But remember when he said that the one that is coming, the one that I've been called to prepare the way for, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. I mean, that was a jaw for a slave. John is in essence stating that he is a slave. He is no savior. Now we know him to be a prophet, but notice he didn't go around validating that or thinking himself better than other people because he was the prophet. He says, there's only one in whom I serve ultimately. And that is the one that is, that is coming. That is the true master and his name is Jesus. So he's telling the religious leaders that they don't even know Um, what they're talking about, because if they don't even know what John the Baptist is doing in fulfilling prophecy and preparing the way for the Messiah, then they're not anticipating the Messiah whatsoever. Now here we see in verses 29 now through 36, this phrase, the Lamb of God in verse 29. What John was saying when he was validating Jesus once again, he was saying to him, or I should say this, he was saying to the people as he saw Jesus publicly. Remember, Jesus publicly was, you know, in front of the people who were being baptized while he was baptized. When the voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son, John is validating that. He makes reference to Jesus as the Passover lamb. So now as he started his ministry, it was one thing when he would baptize people with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he went out and he was tested and Satan tried to bring him down and he resisted the temptations of, of, of the devil and he quoted the word of God and now he's starting his Galilean ministry and his whole focus is being that Passover lamb. He's without sin. He's without blemish. You go back to Exodus 12, 3, Isaiah 53, 6 through 7. But notice this other phrase that John the Baptist uses. He says, Jesus is the lamb of God. He's the Passover lamb. Everybody understood what that meant. He was going to be killed for sin because he says in the next phrase, Jesus, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Now listen to this quote. It says, this word signifies both as does the corresponding Hebrew word. What means it's applied to sin. It means to be chargeable with the guilt of it and to bear it away. McLaren says this, John does not say the sins as the litany following following an imperfect translation. 
makes him say, but he says the sin of the world, as if the whole mass of human transgression was bound together in one black and awful bundle and laid upon the unshrinking shoulders of this better Atlas who can bear it all and bear it all away, end quote. So in essence, what he's saying is, this is the man, this is the Messiah who's going to free his people from their sin by doing what? By taking the sin, just like the Passover uh, lamb, the sins will be laid upon this sacrifice and God will be pleased by it. And then in verse 33, he says, this is the one who would take away the sins of the world. And then he says, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now remember on the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came and transformed not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And that was the launch of the beginning of the church age. So he's saying he's going to take away the sins of the world and then he's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and the church age is going to begin. Then we see in verses 37 through 51, this encountership with these disciples. So now we're seeing Jesus start gathering some of his 12 disciples. We know, of course, in total that he'd had 12 uh, directly that are assembled around him for about three and a half years of his ministry. So this is where we start here in the chronological reading of the Gospels, where he starts meeting up with some of his disciples. And this is where uh, you see that the brothers, like like Andrew, for example, we have found the Messiah. The, do, the two disciples, notice they heard, the Bible says here in verse 37, that they heard and they followed. So in the heralding of, the, of John the Baptist, so people are hearing him proclaiming as, as the Messiah. And now as he's been proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, people are not just hearing it, they're actually following pursuit of him now. So upon this, many people have heard the proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And so they say, okay, if that is the case, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, we will follow him. So Andrew, the brother Peter, and John both acknowledge, the Bible says here, and John 1, uh, they acknowledge Jesus to be the Messiah. And so in response to that, when they follow Jesus, they ask him the question, where are you staying in verse 38? Now, why would they ask that question? Well, in that custom, what in essence they were asking was Jesus, you're a rabbi, you're the Messiah, we want to be taught by you. We want to learn from you. So where shall we go? Where do you live that we can live among you? And now notice in verse 41, it says here that they found the Messiah. Now, could you imagine after all of these years as a Jewish person, you're anticipating the Messiah and this crazy unorthodox person who's baptizing people in the Jordan is telling people publicly after the intimidation of the chief priests, the Levites coming and threatening John the Baptist and questioning his credentials and what authorization does he have to baptize in the way that he does to then be publicly saying that this is not just a rabbi. This is not just any religious leader. The religious leaders are freaking out about me. And he says, I'm not even Elijah. I'm not even the prophet in Deuteronomy 18, but I am preparing the way for the Messiah, the son of God, because that's the equivalence of Messiah is the son of God. If you go back to Matthew 26, 63 through 64, Mark chapter 14, 61 through 62, and Luke 22, 67 through 70, you will see those accounts. The Messiah is equivalent of the son of God. So then when they're saying here in verse 41 that we have found the Messiah, I mean, just that would just be incredible that you are now the voices. John the Baptist is preparing the way, but now these disciples, these nobodies, 
are responding and they're the ones that are going to their family members and they're telling them like Andrew goes to Peter. And so now notice here in verse 42, when Andrew gets Peter and says, we found the Messiah and he sends them to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, Peter, your name's going to be Cephas, which means we know the rock. And this was a name of honor. Now, Peter wouldn't fully grasp this until later on in Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus will explain that you are the rock, This, which literally meant that this confession, the confession of faith that people make in my name, I will build my church in that confession. And that's your representation. Remember, the Catholic Church says that the church, that he's the first Pope. And that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 16. That's a completely distorted view of what the scripture teaches. It's about upon the confession, just like they said, you are um, the son of God. That's what they said in response. The, The crowd thought he was Elijah. They thought he was Moses. They thought he was a prophet, but he says, but who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, upon that confession, the rock, I will build my church. So that's what it meant. So you see the first encountership A lot of people don't realize this, but when you're doing a chronological teaching of scripture, it makes sense. This is the first encountership that Peter has. So when you see him encounter Jesus once again, that we'll see in the later podcasts on the boat, and he tells him to cast his nets again, a lot of times people get confused and think that's the first encountership. Well, actually it's here. Andrew encountered uh, Jesus because of John the Baptist and goes and gets his big brother who comes back and encounters Jesus like this. So that's pretty cool. Now, not only do you have Andrew and John, Peter, and then in verse 45, Philip then finds Nathaniel. Now, remember, Nathaniel is identified as Bartholomew. You can look that up in Mark 3.18 and Luke 6.14. So here he just references Nathaniel. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I saw you under the fig tree. So perhaps uh, you think, what was going on here? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, perhaps Jesus saw Nathaniel praying and meditating under the fig tree. Um, that's, that's, that's something that was kind of common back in those days. And so he was, he was uh, fascinated by that, that, that Jesus noticed those type of things. And then notice at the very end of here, it says, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 51, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So Nathaniel was pretty blown away that Jesus paid close attention to his prayer life, if you will, his meditation habits, and noticed that and spoke that to him. And of course, uh, Nathaniel thought that was awesome. When Jesus says, that's not the only thing that you're going to see awesome. You're going to be seeing amazing things take, play, take place in my life as the Son of God here on earth. So Jesus was telling his disciples, his first disciples here, okay, that they will see him and they will also see his eternal glory someday. And that's that's fascinating. So this in context is where we find ourselves when Jesus is now starting his ministry and getting his disciples. It is here that Jesus returns to the Jordan so that John the Baptist could identify him to the public, which he did. And through that, it's, he was able to start recruiting his disciples so that they can carry on the message at some point to the rest of the world. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.